0: Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome and thanks for joining us. As you know, March is Colon Cancer Awareness Month, and this past Friday, across North America, people celebrated Dress in Blue Day. Uh, Looking around Facebook, I saw literally hundreds of pictures of people dressed in blue shirts, blue dresses, blue shoes, blue fingernail polish. I even saw a few pictures of people with blue hair. What you may not know is the story behind Dress in Blue Day. Dress in Blue Day was founded over nine years ago in Seattle, Washington, by an amazing woman and a a nine-and-a-half-year stage four colon cancer survivor named Anita Mitchell. Anita is a buddy with the Colon Cancer Alliance. She volunteers helping people who have no one to support them, joining them on their doctor visits and during their chemo treatment. She is the founder of Colon Stars, a nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing awareness and providing support to people affected by colorectal cancer. So please join me in my conversation with the amazing Anita Mitchell. Anita, thanks for joining us. And I guess it would be appropriate on this day before Dress in Blue Day to say happy Dress in Blue Day Eve. Thanks. I know you think, well, thank you, because as I look on our Facebook group and uh, the Facebook pages of all the colon cancer affiliated groups, everybody is talking about what are they wearing to be, be dress, appropriately dressed in blue tomorrow? What events are they doing? And I'm so thrilled to be speaking to the woman that is the reason behind all that happening. And I'd love for you to start with just kind of telling the story of how you, Anita, um, got a dress in blue day from a small event at a school where you live to become this big national thing.
1: Well, uh, I was on a colon cancer task force and as a volunteer and patient survivor And they were, you know, they had outreach programs and things. And I brought up Dress in Blue, my Dress in Blue idea to them. And they were kind of lukewarm on it and didn't really see how it would work. And so I said, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because I think we can do something like this without, doesn't cost anything. And, you know, we can get awareness. So I went ahead on my own and went to my children's school and asked the principal if we could do Dress in Blue Day um, for awareness. Um, I was the third parent to have been diagnosed with colon cancer under the age of 50 and in the past 10 years. So um, I thought she would, you know, definitely be sympathetic to the cause. And even though she was, she was worried of offending other families with other cancers that were fighting other cancers. And But after I explained to her um, rather passionately about how our cancer can be prevented um, with screening and knowing the guidelines and knowing symptoms, um, and and how prevalent it was. She she agreed to let me do it. So um, the kids, you know, they all wore blue that Friday. Um, we I think we just picked it on a Friday um, that first week or the first year, and um, they brought a dollar to school and. Um, Donated to colon cancer awareness, and I think that year we actually gave the money to the colon club. So I called the media and um, asked them if they would cover the story, and they said sure. And they came and they took a picture. Um, And so then that in turn went uh, locally, you know, out to everyone that received the West Seattle Herald. And so, you know, here it was something that maybe, you know, say 350 families um, would hear about through the school bulletin, but then it went out to thousands of people through the West Seattle Herald. And then um, one year, um, what I did was what, it. Uh,
0: back up for a second. What, oh, what, sure. year, what year was that first year?
1: Um, it was 2006.
0: 2006, very good.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, because I was diagnosed in 2005, um, right, in February. And so I was just having my surgery and um, – Getting ready for my first chemo in March. Actually, the first year. So, um, and then the second year, um, I had I had met a girlfriend um, through my chemo nurse, and we became very close and started doing all these um, things together. And so, um, she ended up passing away in March. And so, we dedicated the second one was um, in her honor because she. And so, we had it on March sixth or March seventh, I think, the second year. And dedicated it in her honor. And then um, one year, uh, I thought this was kind of, you know, just for awareness is, um, well, so let me back up. Okay, so 2006, we did it, 2007, and then I think in 2008 or 2009, Colon Cancer Alliance, we partnered and we did it together and um, launched it nationally. And it was great because they made posters and, um, and things where I had just done kind of little um, low-budget, <laughs> no-budget posters. They were, you uh, know, uh, we gave them some money, and, and uh, we got some sponsorships and made real posters, and um, I took them around. And this one town, in fact, I thought to get new media is I just went to this little town, um, gosh, an hour away from Seattle, and literally walked up and down the street went to every door and all the little stores and the people, you know, by the fourth, fourth business, someone had had um, a parent that had colon cancer and a sister that had colon cancer. And so they agreed to share their story. And then I called the local media again and made it into, you know, a local story, which is always good. And that also went, they came down and took pictures and, or actually I think we took pictures and sent it to them. But um, you know, It was such an easy way. didn't cost any money, um, Mm -hmm. but it was a great way to get awareness and education um, out there in the public. And so that's kind of how it started. It was just definitely a grassroots, you know, effort and, um, you know, just offered some, um, the kids went home with just some basic screening um, advice on, you know, when you should be screened and earlier if you have these symptoms. And um, that's, that's the start of it. But I, I, I've i noticed what for me that's been so exciting is I don't remember when I was diagnosed, people really thinking much about our color being blue. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this big trend after that blue, 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 you know, and I do think that the Dress in Blue Day has helped help people know what our color is. And that was my thought is start with one thing and then they'll start thinking about colon cancer and slowly it will be recognized in people. It won't have such a, you know, stigma, I guess.
0: Sure. So, so when you take a step back and you see people from all over the country talking about, you know, what they're going to wear and, and blue nail polish and blue hair and buildings and cities lighting their rooftops up in blue, how does that make you feel?
1: It's exciting, um, but for me, I want my city to be crazy blue, and I've been very involved. I have a nonprofit called Colon Cancer Stars, and so I do a ton of patient support and prevention programs and work with uh, our public health department and ACS, and we have a big 80% by 2018 screening employee challenge we're launching so I haven't been able to spend much time going after buildings and and getting places to you know, light up blue. And it, it kind of makes me a little crazy because we have you know, all the buildings in Seattle were lit up blue and green for Seahawks. And so I guess my dream for next year will be the 10th anniversary since I started it. I'm really hoping that I'll have more volunteers or more advocates around this state that will help get those buildings lit up and we can make a really big deal about it in Seattle because it just takes people that have time. And I know I have a great lady in Spokane that is going crazy in the Spokane area. So Washington State is, you know, there's areas that are doing it. But I wish Seattle I had a few more people that had time because, you know, you just can't do everything. (laughs) (laughs) Finding.
0: <laughs> which which takes me to my next question. I, I read your bio, and I do want to kind of get a little bit, touch a little bit into your personal experience with colon cancer in a minute. But I read your bio. I know you have three children. Uh, and all the things you're involved in, where do you find the time?
1: Well, it's kind of taking on a life of its own. Um and now I actually have six because I got married in August. Congratulations. And thank you. And my husband has three children. So 50% of the time, I now have three more. And so while well, mine are grown, 19, 22, and 24 almost, his are 6, 8, and 14. Wow. So my life has become even more busy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, trying to balance. And I have learned – what things give me, um, you know, a lot of encouragement or 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 feed me as far as helping people? And what things, um, you know, it's like you get what, when you give and you and you help people, um, and then if you lose people doing the outreach, can kind of it, you want to fight for those people that no longer can speak? So I think I get really motivated to get out there and keep talking about it because every time we lose somebody, it's just such a waste. And especially the younger people that, you know, they didn't, their symptoms were, you know, misdiagnosed for so long um, and they didn't even know they were symptoms. So, you know, I've kind of tried to think of out of the box ways to educate. And we even um, came up with a school program that we've only done in a pilot project, but We've done it at a high school and a grade school and we had a teacher um, drop the curriculum and it meets Washington state guidelines. And we, the teacher has a lesson and the kids come in and they walk through the the colon and they dress up like doctors and crawl through these tunnels and remove polyps. And it's kind of cool because it's educating them in a fun way that's not intimidating. But also I ask them to go home and bring our little screening cards home and and tell their parents and tell their grandparents and ask about their family history because that's part of it too is people don't talk about it. I had family history and I didn't know that was the kind of cancer my dad had died of. So um, I just think that you can do education. We don't always have to start like right at 50. We can educate when kids are younger and people are younger and, you know, so it's not a big deal.
0: I, I love it. I love what you're saying. And and one of the things that that I notice uh, in, our, in the Facebook group, the Colon Cancer Alliance Facebook group, is so often I see people post questions, post concerns, and they start it with things like, I apologize or TMI because we're dealing with what they prefer to call some people, you know, bathroom issues or toilet issues. I mean, let's face it, everybody poops. I mean, that's yeah. the bottom line. And I, and it, it, it bothers me so much that there's this hush, hush about colon cancer. So, you know, you, you're exposing children to this. How do you, how do you get that message across and overcome this? Oh, that's something we don't talk about mentality from so many people.
1: I think, to be honest, when you look at the people that go through the colon, it goes, the younger kids actually are the most open. And then as you get into the high school, there's a few more snickers as they go through. But then, you know, when I tell my cancer story or another survivor tells their story, the kids, the older kids, we don't do that with the little kids, but, um, you know, they just perk up and all of a sudden you've got their attention, they realize it's not so funny anymore. Um, and so my hope is, you know, just that they, they remember those symptoms. So if they're one of those few kids that, you know, they're 20 years old and they're at college and they're having blood in their stool, they're not going to be too embarrassed to call home and ask their parents, oh, should I go to the doctor? I mean, that's kind of my goal is that you know, it doesn't hurt ever to educate the younger people. And then there's that part where we won't do things sometimes for ourselves, but we'll do them for our kids. I mean, my own mom hadn't been screened when I was diagnosed. And, you know, she was um, 61 when I was 41. And so she, you know, I called her and said, you need to get this done. And, you know, she lived in a small town and the GI she wanted to see only came to town so often. And, you know, there were reasons she hadn't done it. And I said, Oh, not going not gonna to take that. You have to do it. And so I kind of played – I kind of was, you know, a little bit um, – well, more than pushy. I kind of gave her an ultimatum. I said, I'm not going to tell you how I'm doing with my chemotherapy until you get screened. And, boy, she was screened within a month. So, <laughs> you know, I kind of – so I kind of, you know – and I've, I've been known to be kind of pushy on that. But it's just I care and I don't want um, – I mean, sometimes people don't really, they still don't get it. And that surprises me, surprises me how many family members of people that have colon cancer still are not getting screened. That's something that I don't know if it's the fear of, of having it, but, you know, I had a girlfriend that I lost that I met in a support group and her mother had died of the disease and she had to fight to get her colonoscopy and was stage three diagnosis and went into stage four. And her three siblings took almost eight years. And I think they finally had all been screened when she passed, but none of her children had done it yet. And they were all in their um, late 20s and 30s, and it was time. Um, I think they have done it now. I promised her that I would keep bugging them even after she was gone. But I don't understand why you wouldn't run to the doctor to be screened. I just that's the part that's hard to understand is, you know, know. even you know, Yeah, I'm, so I'm going you were off. Diagnosed,
0: <laughs> so you were diagnosed at 41.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Tell me what, tell me about Anita before cancer was part of your life. What was, what was life like?
1: Well, I was a stay at home mom, soccer, diving, gymnastic, baseball mom. My kids were in, Um, select sports. And they all went to, um, they were in a K-8 Catholic school. So, you know, there's no buses or they can't walk to school. So you're carpooling kids. And my daughter was diving in another town, Federal Way, the only, you know, place that they had like the platforms and the springboards. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of driving. I was in the car a lot of my life. Um, I she said I was a glorified taxi driver. I was your typical room mom. I was room mom. I was parents club president. You know, I, I was doing that whole thing. And, you know, so you're kind of, you're doing more things for your kids. I probably, I wasn't an exerciser. Um, kind of crazy. You take your kids to their sports, but you know, you're not making time for yourself to go do that. So I wasn't like you're You know, that was something that I definitely changed after I was diagnosed, but I wasn't a very consistent exerciser before my diagnosis. So that's kind of, you know, what I was doing before.
0: So you had the symptoms, you went to get screened. Tell me about the day. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, I, I had symptoms and I went in and my doctor told me that I didn't need a colonoscopy, that it was probably just a hemorrhoid. Um, and then I told her about my, um, also about my kind of upset stomach in the morning and and kind of diarrhea. And but then it went away, you know, and I was fine the rest of the day. But um, you know, I asked her if it could be my coffee or if it could be creamer, and uh, I changed to decaf. I mean, I thought of all these things, and she just, she actually didn't even comment on that. And I didn't realize when I was telling her that, that that was another symptom. The blood was one thing, but the diarrhea, you know, hemorrhoid doesn't explain the diarrhea, but I didn't even put the two together and she didn't either. She didn't even um, try to. And then I went back to that same doctor probably a month later because it was my yearly checkup and I'd been diagnosed with osteopenia the year before. And I was supposed to take calcium supplements for a year, and then she was going to do another bone scan. And she didn't remember seeing me from like, you know, three, four weeks before. And then we went through the whole physical, and she didn't, at the end, I was expecting the referral for the bone scan, and she just thought we were done. And I realized right then that she hadn't even read my files. She hadn't looked... To see anything, and so I kind of, when I left her office, I had to bring up the bone scan to her. I kind of, I thought, you know, I don't think she's very good. I, I, my faith in her had kind of dwindled, and I had on my family history form they make you fill out that my dad had died of cancer at 46, I think it was, Um, but I didn't have what kind of cancer because I didn't know for sure. I was thinking it was bone cancer. Um, And she never asked me either. Um, So then, you know, typical holidays, this all happened like, you know, during Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then in January, I had a particularly bad episode of just pure blood um, in the toilet. And I knew that, you know, this is not a hemorrhoid. This is not, you know, it has to be something else. And so I looked up in my trusty medical encyclopedia And um, I was like, sure, I had Crohn's or colitis or colon cancer. And then I called my mom and asked her what kind of cancer my dad had passed from because I didn't grow up with my dad. He lived in a different town. My parents were divorced. And so I remember him limping um, towards the end. And so I assumed it was bone cancer. And she said, well, he had colon cancer. So I I didn't even tell my mom why I was asking. I just got off the phone and called the primary care again because the way my insurance worked i had to still go through her to get a referral and i demanded an appointment and they got me in and i said i want a colonoscopy i want a referral now you know i should have been screened by this time i started reading i was like i should have been screened at 30 and um you know she didn't even like rush my screening along but um by the time I saw a GI, which was a couple weeks later, um, he was very, very concerned, and he—I really felt like he was listening, and he was very much wanted to know all the details about when different symptoms had started. And I was still assuming, oh, it would be another two weeks to get in for that. And he said, oh, no, we're going to do it on. This was Monday, and he said we're going to do it on Wednesday. And I asked wow. if we could. And I said, well, could we do it on Thursday because I'm in charge of the school skating party and I could, <laughs> didn't know how I was going to be roller skating and doing prep. So I actually put it off one day myself. But um, when I woke up from my colonoscopy, um, he, you know, they took us into a private room and and just said, you know, I'm really sorry. I didn't even biopsy it, but it's so obvious it's colon cancer. Um, you should probably find a surgeon tomorrow and have surgery next week and he actually walked me down the hall to a surgeon's office, but they were already closed for the day. And so we went home. My husband and I went home. And basically, I mean, I kind of knew, but by, by as soon as I found out about my dad, I kind of had a bad feeling. So I, I wasn't in shock, but I was, <laughs> you know, sure. so. And then I... You know, I had my husband tell the girls when he was picking them up at their sports, and then my son was only nine. My kids were nine, 11, and twelve, and so I didn't—I didn't think I could tell my girls um, because because of losing that other friend seven years before at school, and they were—it was my daughter's brownie teacher. I thought they would automatically think I was going to die um, when they heard, but. Luckily, kids don't really remember. They didn't remember what kind of cancer Catherine had, so that really didn't click, so that was that was kind of good. But, um, you know, I had surgery. You know, I did the whole look for your surgeon, and um, the first surgeon I went to I didn't particularly like, but it was the only one I could get into by Monday. But he scheduled a CT scan for me, and then... Um, by the time I had my second consult that I really one that I really wanted to get into, um, when that surgeon met with me, he he said, I'm really sorry, but I just read your scan and you know, you've got seven tumors in your liver already, you're stage four. So I didn't even know what state I didn't know cancer stages, I didn't know if four was bad, if one sure. two, three. I mean and but I had two girlfriends with me who are both nurses and the looks on their faces, their faces just fell. So soon as I understood, you know, how bad it was, um, that was really, you know, that was horrible. And then I was like, okay, we're not telling the kids. I just wasn't ready to, you know, everyone at school was very, you know, supportive and praying for you and things like that. But I did not want my girls to go Google stage four colon cancer and read the statistics. I was panicking. So I, I kind of shut down that part for a little while. I had, I had to be able to process the information myself. And and that was a hard blow. And then the other thing that I remember that was kind of just a very is they sent me for another scan to check to see if it was in my lungs and. I have really bad veins and the guy was trying to get my veins and I was crying and um, he said, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, Oh, I'm not crying about you poking my veins. (laughs) I said, I just, I just can't do another place. You know, I don't, I think I I can do my liver, but just don't, you know, (laughs) I just can't have it in another place. And, um, Uh, and so I, I don't know why, but for some reason I felt like, okay, you know, I can do the liver, but just don't let me have it in my lungs too. Um, and I was lucky that um, it wasn't in my lungs, so um, I still you know, I still had no clue that I had so much disease in every lobe. I think in one way, that kind of protects you at the beginning, not knowing so much in a way. I was in a really good uh, nCI cancer place that was very had very good care and state of the art and and great guidelines and ended up with an awesome oncologist and you know. I, I search to get that, you know, for new patients starting out, you really, especially if you have a late-stage disease, you need to, you know, get a second opinion, go to an NCI center, and just to make sure, I mean, it's not saying you can't get treatment in your community um, place, but you definitely should make sure they're on the same page because, you know, some of the things that, you know, were done for me, eh, they wouldn't do that in other places, you know. Sure.
0: So how long? I know you went through several modalities of, of, of treatment. How long uh, before uh, you felt like, all right, treatment is done, and now I'm in this in the in the phase of, of being monitored. How long uh, from surgery to treatment was completed? I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Um, well, treatment went, was completed in 2007. So I did chemotherapy. I did my surgery right away, then did chemotherapy for, um, till like the middle of July, middle of July, and then had my liver surgery slash RFA. And I think I was really lucky because back then they didn't like to RFA more than a couple spots. And I had seven spots and they thought they could cut three of them out. Um, in a wedge-free section, and that they could burn the other four. Well, when I was opened up, it ended up I even had another one that they found on the ultrasound. And, you know, I had to go through tumor board um, to even get that far. And I just think I was kind of lucky because I don't know if they would have seen that eighth one on the scan, if they would have thought it was worth doing, you know. Um, right. And even now, when you read the medical journals, you know they'll say it can possibly be cured if they can cut it out, um, but they don't. They say RFA can extend your life, and they don't necessarily think it's curative. But in my case, knock on wood, it's been curative. I mean, it's been nine and a half years since I had it done, and I still. I mean, they're in there, but they're dead. They haven't grown ever, and so you know, they believe that I'm cured and my oncologist even used those words. So, wow. yeah. So. Awesome.
0: So you've been NED for nine years?
1: Yeah, basically. Fantastic. I mean, I've had a lot of little scares along the way, you know, spots show up in my lungs a um, couple years, like probably four years ago, but then, that, then they didn't do anything. Um, and so – you know, now we're at the point where well, they probably aren't anything. But, you know, that's the hard part with this is there isn't like a, you know, there isn't really guidelines, but I mean, it's a good problem to have. I'm not complaining by any means, but, <laughs> but it is kind of a, you know, but I do feel comfortable. I do feel like I'm in a good place and, wow. you know. Right. So you've been
0: Nanny NED over nine years and you've poured your heart and soul into making a difference in the colon cancer community. And you've been involved in so many things. You're volunteering. You started uh, the colon stars organization of all the things that you're involved in, Anita, what do you find to be the most rewarding?
1: I think honestly, it's talking to new patients Um, because people will find me through friends of friends and, um, And even though it's like the most draining part of what I do, it's when someone, I mean, I've had people say, I read your story 40 times online at at the hospital and I can't believe I'm talking to you and, you know, you give me so much hope. And, you know, I met um, a lady that had, when she was diagnosed, she um, ran off and did like a bunch of naturopathic things and then she had come back and she felt great, but her cancer was growing and... She was settling back into treatment, and she, she had read my story on the Internet, and I don't know how we got connected, but I met her for coffee. And even though we viewed the world very differently, she didn't tell anyone about her disease, and she you know went all natural and then tried chemo. Um, after I talked to her, she emailed me the next day and said that was the first night I was able to sleep through the whole night, Just talking to you made me feel so much better. And that, you know, I know I can't change people's outcome, and I don't, like, tell them they're going to be cured. You know, I've been around long enough to know that everybody's really different, but I could at least, you know, I don't know what it was I said, but to know that I helped her sleep better, and, you know, that was what I could do, you know, and just that I did get how she felt and how scared she was. Um, So... I think that's the most rewarding for me. Um, and people, and you can talk about, I think, you know, when someone talks to you and they've never looked at death in the face, you know, and they say, oh, you know, you don't, I, I think you, you respect someone that's walked in your shoes, I guess. Um, and it's not that you don't respect a doctor or a nurse or something. There's some really great, People, But you, I don't know, it's like this instant kind of kinship with other people, you know? Sure,
0: sure. And, you know, people I talk to, and I'm sure you'll agree, will say that they're a different person coming through the cancer experience than they were before. I know I am. Everybody I talk to says that if what would... If, if the Anita before cancer could talk to the Anita today, what would she say?
1: Hmm. The before, huh? Well, she'd probably say, you need to slow down, though. You're getting really busy. <laughs> <laughs> and you need to get back to exercising. Because I was really, you know, during cancer, I have to say, I mean, I got involved in things, but I did really self-care and did the walking and went to support groups and I went to like little art things and retreats. And I have to say, I've been really bad and my life's crazy and I do need to do a little more self-care. Um, and so that's kind of my goal. I, I always am trying to find balance in my life. And that's my word is balance and how to balance. <laughs> I'm impatient.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my final question for you is uh, someone listening to our conversation that either themselves or someone they care deeply about just got a diagnosis. Words of wisdom, words of advice for that person.
1: Is to definitely, um, you know, I think you need to get more than one opinion and 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 not be afraid to. We, we do that when we're shopping for a car. We go to more than one dealership. Um, there are a lot of people out there that there's a lot of great doctors, but then there's some places that aren't necessarily cutting edge, and sometimes that can really change your outcome. It can change your quality of life. Um, I've been in a lot of patients appointments with all different doctors all over the Puget Sound area and it's very different. And, you know, you're the patient and, you know, you should be a part of the decisions that are being made and feel comfortable to ask your questions. You should never be, um, made to feel like they're a stupid question or you should always understand the thought process behind the answer. And I think for me, I had such a good doctor. I want everyone to have access to that. I want everyone to know how to be an advocate and how to ask questions and to make sure they get their questions answered. Um, So I guess that's a really long answer, but, you know, just their own thing. And also to live, like to live right then. Like there's so many people that put off, oh, I'm going to take this trip and I'm going to do this when I'm done with treatment. And you know, sometimes it doesn't go the way we're hoping it will go. And I've seen a lot of people put off living um, while they're fighting. And then you know, they have some regrets and sometimes this, and that was something that my girlfriend Carmen had taught me is she said, I've just learned that this disease can turn and when it turns, you don't, you know, my doctor told me you need to be ready. And so I, that always stuck with me. And so I've always tried to encourage people to keep planning those trips and, and go visit the people you want to and take those pictures and do that while it's living while you're fighting through the disease. But, you know, you just don't want to have, you know, those regrets. And that's something that I try to really, really help those, those, especially the stage four people, because, you know, we're so wrapped up in our treatment because we're living it every other week or every day, some people, that you kind of, it can turn into your whole life. And, um, you know, I loved, I would go from chemo straight to a swim meet for my kids or soccer game or fly to San Diego for a soccer tournament, and I didn't let any of it stop me. But some people, you know, I I just want them to be able to live and not let cancer rob them of, you know, their time.
0: That's a great message. That's a great message. Well, Anita, thank you so much for spending time with me and for giving back in the way you have to the colon cancer community, not just in the Seattle, Washington State area, but you've truly have made a difference in the lives of so many. I admire and respect you to the the heights of the, of the heavens and I aspire to be like you someday. So so thank thank you uh, from my heart and I appreciate it. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for listening to this episode of the colon cancer podcast. Notes from today's episode can be found on our website at Podcast.com. You can subscribe to our podcast by searching for The Colon Cancer Podcast on iTunes and clicking the subscribe button, or by using the podcast app on your iPhone and clicking the subscribe button. Our show can also be found on Stitcher Radio for those of you using an Android device. If you or a loved one has any questions at all about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliances website at myccasupport.org. Again, that's myccasupport.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon Again, that's info at the colon Thank you again for listening. Be well, everyone.